Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my entire life. Whether you've been reading me forever or you just found this podcast today, I'm glad to have you here with me. Let's talk some Orioles. It's April the 17th, 2023. The Orioles are now 9-7 after winning two out of three games in Chicago against the White Sox. That included an absolutely fantastic comeback in yesterday's 8-4 win. The Orioles fell in an early 4-0 hole. Grayson Rodriguez really struggled in the first inning. He was down 3-0 before even recording an out after giving up a three-run home run. Ultimately had four earned runs in the inning. But after that, he settled down, made it through five innings. That was much like Rodriguez's first start. And he didn't give up any more runs over the course of innings two through five. So Rodriguez just needs to get over whatever it is that's causing him problems in the first inning. He has walked the leadoff batter in all three of his major league starts so far. So that's something that uh, he's really going to need to work on. And it seems like he is going to be working on it after the game was over. He told Orioles reporters that starting, uh, quote, starting the game off a little better pace is something we're going to work on this week. We're going to prepare a little differently, end quote. That's encouraging to hear. And he also said of his outing, quote, this was the first time I felt like I had the change up this year. This week during bullpen, it was something we really focused on, end quote. So that's encouraging because Rodriguez was able to work on something during the bullpen sessions, and it paid off during his next start. So now what we need is for him to be able to work on whatever his first inning problems have been uh, on the court, on that bullpen session stuff, and then hopefully that means that he will be able to make his next start at the major league level. We'll see. Still some moving parts there with Kyle Bradish coming off the injured list probably on Wednesday, but... With Cole Irvin already having been demoted to the minors, which unfortunately for me happened after I recorded the last episode of the podcast, um, but af- but um, before everyone knew- was able to listen and hear about it. So Bradish can actually replace Irvin in the rotation, and if the Orioles want, they can just leave Rodriguez where he is. If you've been listening to this podcast, you know that I think they need to leave, Ro- leave Rodriguez where he is. I think that although his... Sunday stat line overall is not well. It is encouraging to see that he has been able to kind of um, bounce back after a tough first inning, and that's something that he needs to clean up, but it's also not a complete disaster. And especially with, for instance, Dean Kramer, still a disaster through his first three starts in the Orioles rotation. It, it, it wouldn't be Rodriguez coming out if, he, if it was up to me. But, of course, it's not up to me, so we'll see what happens. The Sunday victory was doubly encouraging for me because it really could have been an automatic loss with Dylan Cease, the AL runner-up to the Cy Young from last season. And the Orioles were fortunate to be able to capitalize on White Sox making a key error that allowed them to mount a comeback. And then it turns out it's never over with the White Sox bullpen. They entered the series with the worst bullpen in the majors, and the Orioles did a good job showing why the White Sox bullpen is in fact the worst so far this season. In the Sunday game, Cedric Mullins had three hits, drove in four runs. He's now up to a 792 OPS for the season. Very good news. Austin Hayes, Gunnar Henderson, and Jorge Mateo all had multi-hit games in the Sunday victory. I think that's good news as well, obviously, particularly because the Orioles are going to need to get some signs of life at the plate from Gunnar Henderson and Cedric Mullins. 
doubly important with Ryan Mountcastle kind of falling down to earth hard now that he's no longer getting to hit against Oakland Athletics pitchers. Mountcastle was a 1-for-14 in the Chicago series. He's still kind of having hard luck like last year in that he's hitting the ball very hard and consistently, but uh, it's going consistently at fielders. That sucks for him. And he also had one on Sunday where he really should have had a hit. He had a line drive going to the outfield and find grass, but the bases were loaded, and Cedric Mullins on second base read the ball very poorly. He went back as if he was going to have to try to uh, not get doubled off second base, even though the ball clearly hit the grass. So Mullins was thrown out at third base, ultimately turning that into an RBI fielder's choice instead of what should have been just an RBI single. It's, it hurts Mountcastle's batting average, but whatever. Um, he's not walking. His on-base percentage is somewhere in the realm of 250. So even though he is leading the team in RBI, the 250 on-base percentage, uh, you know, that's, that's a pretty bad number. Not exciting. So what we're going to need is we're going to need other Orioles batters to step it up as Ryan Mountcastle and perhaps others are falling back down to earth from early hot starts. Fortunately, in the Chicago series, we got some signs that maybe that is going to happen. After Sunday's game, the Orioles have now played 10% of the season if you round to the nearest one decimal place. The Orioles, at 9-7, and seven, are now on a 91-win pace. So how big is that swing of winning the Sunday game? Because if they had just folded up the tents with C's pitching and gotten shut out 4 to nothing or something, they'd be 8-8, eight and eight, and it would be like, okay, well, they're on an 81-win 81 81-win pace. 500 baseball, not terribly exciting. Coming up next for the Orioles, they just need to take care of business in a short two-game series against the Nationals this week. Although the Nationals are not very good so far this season, they will be throwing two starting pitchers against the Orioles, who have been doing well so far this year. Those two guys are Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore. Uh, the, the Nationals do have some bad pitchers, including Patrick Corbin, but Corbin is not lined up to pitch in this series, so tough luck for the Orioles. I think my big question is going to be, can Dean Kramer finally have a good start? The Nationals, well, they're not a good team, so it would be really nice for Dean Kramer to kind of start to have some kind of turnaround against this not-very-good Nationals team. Of course, we'll also have a need for Kyle Bradis to pitch well coming off the injured list, presumably on Wednesday, but we can talk about that more in Wednesday's episode once that's more imminent and we have Tuesday's game to talk about as well. Moving on a little bit more from Sunday's game, so continuing our look at wins probability added and who was the most clutch Orioles player uh, in each given game, the biggest single play in Sunday's game was Cedric Mullins hitting a two-run triple that made the game 4-3 to three in the top of the fourth inning. This one play brought the Orioles at plus 18.4% towards their win probability, so that's pretty darn good. However, it was not good enough for Mullins to be the most clutch player overall. He was actually edged by Jorge Mateo, who collectively moved the needle plus 29% in favor of an Orioles victory. Mateo has really been one of the best things going for the Orioles this year between his defense, his hitting very well through the first 16 games, and his speed as well. Least clutch, unfortunately, was Grayson Rodriguez. He could not overcome that first inning. Falling behind 4 to nothing in the first inning really puts, uh, puts you down in a hole, kind of where in the Wires theme song you're supposed to keep the devil. That's about where you are when you give up a four-run first inning. 
it really wounds the team's chances of winning. They were able to come back eventually, but even Rodriguez's four scoreless innings were not enough to help. So on our running tally, so far, Adley Rutschman has been the most clutch Oriole in four different games. Uh, Cole Irvin, unfortunately, the least clutch in three games. There are four players who are tied with two least clutch games apiece. Uh, starting maybe in the next episode, I'll try and do a cumulative running tally from game to game. Adley Rutschman, shockingly, pretty clutch overall, but we can, we can look at that a little bit more next time. I will be right back after a brief message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so moving on and looking forward, the Orioles are going to have at least one pending roster move for the Tuesday game against the Nationals, where they start that two-game series. They're going to have Keegan Aiken coming back from the paternity list. Congratulations to the Aiken family on the birth of their child. That was why Aiken missed the weekend series against the White Sox. With how he's pitched so far this season, I was not in a rush to see him get back, but he, uh, well, it was a small sample size, and he hasn't been good over the small sample size, so hopefully coming back and now with dad motivation or whatever, he can start firing off some zeros because the Orioles' bullpen could really use it. Aiken's replacement for the weekend was Yenier Cano, who you may recall arrived in the Jorge Lopez trade last July. Cano was not terribly impressive in his first uh, impression in an Orioles uniform, Walked way too many guys, gave up a ton of runs, got a much better second impression this weekend, pitched in two of the games, two and two-thirds scoreless innings, just really looked impressive, almost uh, as far as the strikeout propensity, looked like he could maybe even be trending towards Felix Bautista 2.0. Okay, that's probably getting a little bit carried away, but Cano, after really not looking good at all last year, maybe looked like a different guy this year. It would be... Pretty tough to um, send him down after two very successful games. Of course, Mike Elias is not known for his sentimentality, so that doesn't mean that Cano will not be sent down. But if it was up to me, I think I would send down Logan Ulaspi, who now has a 7.20 ERA after pitching in eight games already. That's uh, pretty rough. He, of course, was responsible for blowing the game on Saturday, and, you know, it... Uh, it, it, it wasn't great to see. So I, I would send him down, but it's not up to me. We'll see on Tuesday, I guess, what um, Mike Elias ends up doing. Possibly there will need to be a roster move for Ramon Urias as well. He got hit in the head on Saturday's game, came out of that game immediately, was not able to play in Sunday's game, and it is still to be determined whether he's going to be ready to go for the National Series. For now, he's in concussion protocol which doesn't mean he has a concussion, but the Orioles just need to keep checking up on him. I think the Monday off day probably makes it a little bit more likely that Urias will be able to avoid the injured list, but it doesn't guarantee it. Of course, that's pretty much going to come down to what he's like on Tuesday afternoon. The Orioles did have prospect Joey Ortiz briefly on standby. They held him out of Norfolk's game on Saturday evening in case he needed to be rushed to Chicago, but as it turned out, they did not rush Ortiz to Chicago because Ortiz played in Norfolk's game on Sunday. So I guess that doesn't mean his big league debut is imminent, but we will see. It probably depends on how Arias's condition improves or doesn't in between now and Tuesday's game against the Nationals. So I hope Arias is able to get well soon. We have already seen his gold glove arm and glove from last year. Uh, shown off some, and 
the Orioles, well, they're going to need him, I think. What position he's going to play, I don't know. But Urias repeating the defensive value he gave to the Orioles last year, I think it's going to be one of the important things going forward. So hopefully he doesn't have to miss time and the injury does not derail his early being decent at the plate and pretty good in the field so far. Okay, so that's enough about the big league Orioles for now. Let's dip into the prospect of the day. And just to remind you, these prospects are coming from my composite top 20 list that I put on camdenchat.com. The composite list, I just took five lists, four national ones and one local list, and I averaged together all those rankings, and I got a top 20 Orioles prospect list. There is no input on at, at all from me other than I decided which order to list the people who were tied with one another. So the list that made up my composite list, they came from Baseball America, Fangraphs, MLB Pipeline, The Athletics, Keith Law, and then one local list that was the fellow Orioles podcasters, the prospect focused on The Verge. Okay, so we've talked about numbers one through three so far. Number four is D.L. Hall. Hall was actually number five on four of the five prospect lists and number seven on one of the lists. However, uh, he, although Hall was below Colton Kowser on more lists than not, there was one list that really didn't like Colton Kowser. So we'll talk about that when we get to Kowser's episode. So the result was Hall is number four on the Orioles prospect ranking, the composite ranking I put together, even though he is not number four or better on any one of the individual rankings. At the moment, Hall, on the low ranking, the one ranking that liked him the least, he is number 89 overall prospect in the game by MLB Pipeline. So even on the list that was most pessimistic about him, he's still a top 100 prospect in the game. Rewinding a little bit, just to remember, refresh your memory of when he was drafted, Hall was the Orioles' first-round pick in the 2017 draft. They picked him at number 21 overall a pick that they had to settle for. Well, not had to settle for, but that, that's the pick they got after being pretty good in the 2016 season. The Orioles drafted Hall out of Valdosta High School in Georgia. He was ranked on that year's draft prospect list as high as number eight on Keith Law's list. Law was then at ESPN.com, and Law really liked Hall. Um, he said at that time, quote, Hall is an athletic lefty with a super fast arm who will sit 93 to 94 miles an hour with a plus curveball and average changeup, and he even has some tailing life on the heater. End quote. I think that the Orioles were probably not expecting to be able to draft Hall with the number 21 pick in that draft, and once he fell to them, that was a value that was just too good for them to pass up. The Orioles were said to be looking for college hitters or um, prep batters. So they wanted to get uh, somebody who could maybe move quickly through the farm. That was what all the people said in the mock drafts and join what was then a people were still thinking maybe a competitive window, although we know by the time the 2017 draft had happened, the Orioles window was more or less closed. That didn't get formalized until they stunk in September of 2017. But the party was over, not that we knew it at the time. Um, Looking at the players the Orioles might have taken with the pick at number 21, fortunately there aren't too many regrets right there. A few picks later was uh, drafted now a Red Sox pitcher, Tanner Houck. He was drafted from the college ranks. Uh, I didn't mind that the Orioles didn't take Houck at the time. It seemed like the prospect rankers thought that Houck had a big injury risk, 
So I, I didn't really want to see the Orioles use a pick on him. Um, so Hall, well, the Orioles were able to get him developed into a top 100 prospect, and now we just need to see if they can get him developed into a useful big league player. His scouting report now, looking at the uh, Fangraphs preseason Orioles prospect ranking, they wrote about him, quote, Hall's plus velocity, now 95 to 97 miles per hour, and uphill approach angle make Hall's fastball extremely difficult for hitters to get on top of. Batters trying to anticipate the heater often end up embarrassing themselves against his changeup, end quote. Fangrass also notes that Hall's changeup had a 54% whiff rate in the 2022 season, which is honestly absurd. Of course, the Orioles in 2023 have an even more absurd whiff rate with Felix Bautista's splitter, but, uh, you know, 54% is just absurd. The Fangraphs folks, although they do have Hall pretty high up in the Orioles system, they think he's going to end up being a high leverage late inning reliever, and they called him turning into that, quote, karmic balance for the Josh Hader trade. Hader, as I'm sure you already know, he was from Millersville. The Orioles drafted him, ended up trading him to Houston. He was a lottery ticket kind of throw-in in the Bud Norris trade. The Orioles acquired about two and a half years of Bud Norris in that trade. He wasn't very good in 2013 after they acquired him. And in 2014, he had a fine season. But then he was really bad in 2015 and didn't even make it through the whole year. So Norris, the Orioles ended up getting 0.5 BWAR out of him in that trade. Not so good. Josh Hader now has a seven-year major league career, 0.919 whip, which is absurd over that long of a career, even for a reliever. He's got a 15.3 strikeout per nine inning race in his career. That's absolutely crazy. But okay, no more talking about Josh Hader and regretting that Josh Hader was traded for a starting pitcher who was not very good. D.L. Hall himself, the Orioles are still kind of tilting at the windmill of thinking that Hall's going to be a starting pitcher. Of course, they sent him down to Norfolk to start the season rather than maybe have him in the big league bullpen so that he could continue stretching him out as himself out as a starting pitcher. Hall has made three starts down there so far this year, a 4.76 ERA, a 1.5 whip. He's already issued seven walks in 11 and a third innings. Hall, he's just forever issuing too many walks. Uh, I will admit to you, I have never really been on the D.L. Hall hype train, mostly because he's always walked too many guys. It's like, if you walk that many guys, you can't possibly be a useful starting pitcher. I've really not seen any sign in, in any of his stops in the minors that he's going to be able to cut that walk rate enough. And if you're walking that many guys, it's hard to trust you in the back end of the bullpen as well because, you know, you can't always be putting guys on base for free if you're going to be an eighth-inning guy or even a closer. So I guess we'll see what Hall's future is going to be. I think I'm going to be optimistic and kind of agree with Fangraphs that his future role could be back end of the bullpen, high-leverage reliever. I am maybe, I guess, hopeful that if the Orioles get to the point where they just exclusively use him in the bullpen, maybe he will finally be able to kind of pare down his arsenal and fine-tune two or at most three pitches rather than try to worry about needing a starter arsenal and that that might help him issue fewer walks. But, you know, until that happens, I'm just, I'm just going to be a little pessimistic about that. 
I, I've neglected to give a future role for any of the prospects I went over so far. I, I only thought of that after doing a few. So let me just briefly zoom through numbers one through three. Number one, as you recall, was Gunnar Henderson. I think he's going to be the anchor at third base for most of the rest of the decade for the Orioles. I will admit I'm a little bit worried about his 21 strikeouts in 41 at-bats so far this year. I also think maybe he's having a bit of accuracy challenges in throwing from third, but we'll see. Uh, I, I, my, my optimism for Henderson is not diminished yet. He's still having an excellent walk rate, even as he's striking out a lot. So I hope that is going to bode well for him turning it around eventually. Number two is, of course, Grayson Rodriguez. Although he's had some first inning scuffles in his big league career through three starts, I still think he's going to be a quality starter for the good Orioles era that we are now hopefully in the beginning of. Of course, I am still a little worried as well about the first inning problems. Hopefully, as he says, he can work on that and start fixing that in his next start that will hopefully be at the big league level. Number three was Jackson Holiday. I think he's going to move fast through the Orioles farm system and probably be the Orioles star shortstop, hopefully from like 2025 through 2030. And that's, that's the one through three. And then Hall, I think, back into the bullpen. That's me, fingers crossed, and being maybe more optimistic than I should. So that's one through four. We will talk about number five and beyond in future episodes. If you want to email me and have your email read on the episode, you can email me at camdencastpod at gmail.com. Every episode, if I've gotten a new email, I will read at least one email. I didn't get any for today, so it could have been you if you had written in. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider subscribing and leaving a rating or review. You can search for Camdencast on most modern podcasting platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, etc., etc., If the show is missing on your preferred platform, please email me and let me know. I will be happy to get it anywhere that I can find it. New episodes of Good Morning Birdland come out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning. Don't see any reason why I should not be back with a new episode Wednesday morning, so I will see you then. Between now and then, you can tweet me at CamdenChat on Twitter. Hopefully Twitter will actually notify me when people send tweets. It hasn't been very reliable about that lately. Um... You know, they, they've had some problems, as you might have heard. But if you if you tweet me there, I will hopefully see it and maybe talk about your tweet on the podcast as well. But for now, that's all I've got. Good Morning Birdland is a Camden Cast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's.